Did you know Montel uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to forecast spot prices, inflow to reservoirs, wind and runoff river production? We can improve forecasts for your individual power plants anywhere in Europe. Contact us at ai.motelnews.com for more info. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. In today's pod, we return to a topic that is of interest to many of you out there, and that will be a key component of Europe's green energy transition. Yes, we're talking about power purchase agreements, or PPAs. What are the current drivers, and what can we expect in the months ahead, while we are still in the midst of the corona crisis and its immediate aftermath? I'm Richard Svarison, and helping me discuss these issues is Sam Eberhorn of Arup. A warm welcome to you, Sam. Thank you very much, Richard. It's a pleasure. How are you doing at the moment? I can see that the UK is seeking to impose even more restrictions. Yes, I'm well. Family's well, thankfully. Yeah, I mean, you know, what what can we do, I guess, except listen and and um, <laughs> to do what we can to try to stem the the, fl- the flow of this virus. So yeah, I mean, you know, we've been encouraged now, um, as of yesterday, to work from home more. And that's a change, I, I think, from the summer where we actually were encouraged to go into the office more. So slight backward step, but, you know, hopefully it's enough to kind of halt the, the transmission. Fingers crossed. I mean, we maybe want to come back to discussing the impact of a potential wave on PPA deals or negotiations. But um, I think initially, I'd like to say, Sam, that you know PPAs, they're not new, but they seem to be increasingly used to expand renewables in a post-subsidy world. In a, in a recent webinar, I heard someone say that, uh, that subsidies uh, were a form of PPA as they were a deal to finance green energy, but albeit with the state and not with merchant or private firms. Uh, What's your view here about you know the newness of PPAs? Yes, so no, I agree with the the comment that was made earlier. I, I think in a new context, PPAs definitely are important to that post subsidy world. So now instead of contracting with the state, you're contracting with a corporate directly with the end user. So PPAs have a great potential to help us in this next phase of the decarbonization and the clean transition. So what's happened this year? I mean, we're still not out of this COVID-19 crisis yet, but uh, have you seen a slowdown or dip in, in PPA activity so far, Sam? Oh, so so yes and no is the answer, really. In terms of the global corporate PPA volumes, BNF do a really good job of reporting. Um, they've been doing this a while now, so I'll lean into some of their statistics. So they've reported that in the year up to July 2020 that we've seen just under nine gigawatts of um, corporate PPA vo- um, deals achieved. And this is actually slightly up compared to last year, where we saw approximately eight and a half gigawatts. Looking at that, you would say, well, actually, you know, things are heading in the right, on the right track. But when you dig into the, into the numbers a bit more, we're actually seeing a significant reduction in the PPA, uh, the corporate PPA deals that have been achieved in the US. So we've seen around five and a half gigawatts in the year to July, compared to about six gigawatts in the same period. But fortunately, other regions have picked up the slack. So we've seen quite a lot of deals that have been announced coming out of Latin America, 
you know, these are firms in Argentina, Brazil and Chile. And also in Europe, we've had a strong performance in the year to 2020, the year to July 2020, sorry. So Europe's still still there and it's, the, the deals are still being struck, as, as it were. Yes, they are. It's certainly in Europe and presumably beyond, COVID-19's had quite an impact on demand and on power prices. Is that affecting negotiations? Are you hearing anything uh, along those lines, Sam? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, unfortunately, COVID-19 is, is still with us and it's the economic uncertainty that it's brought with us is, is still present. Um, I think it's been a really kind of incredible feat for the market to still be on track to record another year-on-year volume um, record. What we're seeing in terms of corporate um, off-takers is understandably they are more cautious about going into long-term agreements on you know on their energy procurement and you know they're dealing with kind of unprecedented challenges so it's quite understandable that they've been preoccupied in terms of pricing what we have seen actually is that pricing has rebounded compared to where they were in the midst of the coronavirus period so you know pricing and the PPA side is was generally tracking the what we've seen in the wholesale electricity market prices, and now we've kind of recovered the majority of those losses. Uh, the PPA pricing has rebounded as well. The corporate buying has been particularly strong again from the tech firms. We've seen Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company; uh, they've led the pack actually, uh, signed a huge PPA with Orsted to take all of the output from a 920 megawatt offshore wind farm in uh, Taiwan. And you've seen the regulars in the tech space, such as Amazon and Microsoft, also recording significant PPA purchasing volumes in, in the first half of the year. And maybe, I guess, slightly newer firms outside of the tech um, sector. We've seen General Motors and Anglo-American and Dow Chemical also you know, announcing deals too. So. There were good signs. We've seen um, a recovery, let's say, you know, compared to when we were in the very midst of the COVID-19 lockdown uh, period. So that initial blip or initial dip even in in terms of prices and also deals, you've seen, you know, seen movement returning, if you like, and and Sam, if that'd be a fair way to summarise it. Yes. Not quite pre-COVID levels or? I think in terms of the pre-COVID levels, wholesale electricity pricing is, I think, back and above you know those levels uh, we've seen a i guess a slide in prices in in Q4 so we haven't recovered those losses but i think in terms of the the covid-19 um losses the wholesale electricity prices and the ppa pricing has rebounded from that we're in a situation where where spain and sweden have the cheapest ppa pricing in europe um from a solar and a wind onshore wind energy perspective, respectively. So you're seeing Spain solar PPA deals being struck in a narrow range, actually, of about 34 to 36 euros per megawatt hour. And in Sweden, on the onshore wind side, we're seeing uh, PPA deals being struck at, you know, between 27 and 32, 31 euros per megawatt hour. These are the markets where the pricing is, is the lowest, and that has been supported by continued improvements in LCOE and continued, I guess, um, you know, developments there. And you know, 
Great Britain, you know, on the other side kind of remains the pricier market in terms of PPA deals with probably both solar and wind PPAs being struck at around 50 uh, euros per megawatt hour at present. So in Sweden and, and, and Spain, Sam, would you say uh, are these deals being struck at a premium or a discount to, to the forward curve? At present, at a, a discount to the, to the forward curve. So, you know, we're seeing you know, industrial players comfortable at, you know, taking the opportunity to, to strike those deals as secure long-term lower pricing. Is that also encouraging small and medium-sized companies to come into the, the PPA space? I mean, you talk about the big techs. We've, we've talked about them before, I think, even on this podcast, Amber. You know, if we want to move quickly with these very ambitious targets that the, that the EU has set, we need to get more and more companies involved in this. And I know there has been movement with the, uh, with the RE100 index, but what's happening in the levels or the you know below the big tech giants yeah i think you make a very strong point there we definitely need more uh, sectors to be involved so i mean there's a few sectors that i think should be next and we've already seen some some involvement from from these sectors so finance with retail and investment banking corporations so this could be an area where we see um you know good appetite for them to acquire long-term renewable energy via corporate PPAs. I think as well, their demand situation isn't as challenged or uncertain in comparison to manufacturing and, and you know, truly industrial companies, and even those on the maybe fashion retail side. And then other, another sector, I guess, is on the, in the energy side. So oil and gas majors, you know, we've seen some announcements where firms are committing to responsibly source their energy for for their operations. And also on the, I guess, the, the retail side, supermarkets, grocery chains, so the likes of Tesco, Lidl, Aldi, they have great potential to, you know, to enter in this space. And Tesco have already done some deals. But I think going forward, there's more, there's great potential and opportunity there for them to kind of step up in those areas. And I think as well, in terms of regions, because we, we talked about regions um, a little bit earlier, we need more kind of in Europe, because I think to date, it's largely been Nordic, Nordic's led. We're seeing that growth in Spain, but we also need more out of Great Britain as well, and more out of the Latin America. We've seen some, some improvements. We've seen some buying there this year but also from Asia as well. So, you know, India, Malaysia, Vietnam and these countries. Interesting. I'm wondering also whether within Europe, France, Spain, Eastern Europe, I know Poland's very interesting now, has had quite a big explosion in terms of solar capacity. What's holding back the move into PPAs in, in these areas? Is it pricing or is it the complexity of the deals? Are there other factors involved? I think the, the point we kind of started with on subsidies in some extent, is still kind of holding things back. I know in the German context, Germany is you know a huge is a you know renewables powerhouse, but there the rules don't allow you you know as much to go into corporate PPAs if you're also receiving subsidies. So this is a big, I guess, challenge there. But also you know in Great Britain and and in other regions as well. So. To some extent, subsidies are holding the market back. I would say also regulatory reform. We're still seeing the evolution of regulation 
in a number of different markets. So, for instance, in the US with the the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and their minimum offer price rule, so that which was recently upheld in in April, that has an impact on the pricing um, of renewables in in the markets uh, in P, in PJM. Similarly, in, in Great Britain, we've seen the targeted charging review and the forward-looking charges and network um, access off-gem processes. They are resulting in changes in network charging. So this is also leads to uncertainty. And it may be finally on the ancillary balancing services, we're still seeing procurements evolving there as well. So this leads to some uncertainty as to how the renewables will engage with these markets and what their obligations are. So I think these are some of the things which are holding holding the market back. Certainly on the regulatory side, there's a lot of room for for progress, I, I assume. But uh, if we look at these deals, I mean, how long does a, you know, if we can say a, a normal or, you know, I suppose it's all very complex and they're all quite non-standardized. But if we look at a, an average PPA deal, I mean, how long would these negotiations normally take? So I think in the negotiation stage, you know, in the proposals that we, you know, extend, we would typically see this stage lasting for about four weeks. However, I will say that, you know, there is scope and we have, you know, seen creep in this area. So, you know, this is a stage which, you know, we would work closely with a legal consultant to, in order to um, hammer down the, the terms and conditions um, in the PPA contract. So, you know, four weeks is, I'd say, what we, we open with. Mm-hmm. We do, you know, we allow some wiggle room, some, uh, you know, kind of potential creepage there. I think it would be nice to be able to say that it is very standard. And, and when I say four weeks, I'm really referring to this sleeved PPA situate route, which is kind of the ubiquitous kind of solution in Europe. So I think if you're doing a private wire deal, for instance, the negotiation can be longer. But also I would say there's a potential if you're doing the synthetic route for the negotiation actually to be shorter. So I think those are some of the considerations when talking about the length of the negotiation. It also depends on the counterparties as well and, you know, the extent to which they are involved and the extent to which they see risk on you know, when looking across the desk. So, so I mean, just for, for my own benefit, really, or to remind me and also for those listeners who may not be aware of the difference between sleeved, synthetic and private wire, could you very briefly sort of uh, summarise the differences? Yeah, so very briefly, a sleeve PPA, you would use your existing energy supplier and the, you'd have no physical connection between yourself and the, and the facility producing your electricity. They produce electricity into the grid. And you, you know, contract to buy the electricity at a you know given price, but there's a, an agreement back to back, if you like, with the supplier who's essentially taking that energy into their portfolio and kind of um, you know reselling it in a sense to, to yourself. So there, you would still be exposed to, you know, some of the things which the retailer would have to pass on in, in your billing, non-energy costs, for instance. The network charges would all still be passed through. Private wire, you have a physical connection that's in place. So you have an opportunity to potentially there avoid some of the non-energy costs. 
network charges and social and environmental levies. And a synthetic PPA is really a financial instrument, um, you know, kind of like a swap or, you know, a CFD where it's about cash flow and against the, you know, given strike price. Thanks for for summarising that very, very neatly and elegantly, Sam. What I'd like to then I, I'd sort of ask, because I think part of it is, you know, uh, for the, the some of the counterparties, maybe especially some of the corporates, are these contracts too complex? And do a lot of the the parties involved understand the sort of pricing structures or the drivers involved here? I would say that there has been a concerted effort by, you know, suppliers and utilities when engaging with corporates to simplify things and to kind of demystify the, and to, to remove that complexity. So there has been a normalization in the structure of PPAs which have been offered to corporates, at least from the supplier utility perspective. So there's a recommendation there for developers and independent power producers to take those lessons and to you know put in front of corporates something which is similar to what they've already seen from the suppliers and utilities. You know, as I mentioned before, I think the synthetic PPA in the European context does actually have quite a lot of upside. And, you know, there is an opportunity there to use this as a way to reduce the complexity. I mean, it's already quite common in the US. And I think potentially here, it has merits too. On the pricing side, I think corporates do understand the difference in the pricing. So this is something that they are now more used to engaging with the difference between you know kind of a long-term fixed or a discount or variable prices which are kind of attached to the to the wholesale market if we move on to the financing now sam i mean um is some of this too restrictive i mean in terms of counterparty risk the bankability i mean is there a kind of a, a small pool of of companies that can be for example off-takers in this market and how, how would you be able to expand that out? Yes. So, you know, there's relatively few corporate PPAs outside the US. So that's the slight caveat to my answer there. But I will say where the generator has more than one route to market the ability and has the ability to sell their generation into the wholesale market and isn't wholly dependent on the corporate off-taker. So therefore there isn't, you know, it's not via a private wire, then the corporate credit risk isn't as critical and therefore isn't too restrictive in the development of um, you know PPA landscape. I've been at conferences you know where we're looking at PPAs or, or geos and the companies on the supply side often massively out, outnumber those on the demand side and so I think is there enough demand in the market for, for PPAs to meet the huge growth in renewable supply expected until 2030 and beyond? There definitely needs to be an improvement there on the demand side. Um, I mentioned a few sectors where I think demand could come from in the future. I would also say that there is a role maybe for platform or a number of platforms to encourage the aggregation of demands, say from small to medium-sized enterprises and also from smaller renewable generators, and then to, to facilitate this matching process. From a, a second feature is the secondary trading of PPAs. I think this will mitigate the credit risk and you know, counterparty risk concerns that are present. If there is an ability 
for somebody else to kind of pick up the PPA um, if somebody else decides to reduce or step away from from that commitment. So I think these features which could help to bolster the demand um, and bring in you know uh, smaller firms because you know our market isn't just full of Googles and uh, Microsofts. <laughs> the the bulk of our economy are is you know smaller the small medium sized enterprises. So we need to find a way to get them engaged in the process. Absolutely. And uh, I think that's that's quite good. They are the engine of the economy in, in many ways. When you say platform, Sam, what do you mean there? So I, I guess in terms of uh, online platforms. So in a similar way, we have, you know, exchanges on the electricity side, which have developed, you know, over time. We can also see kind of a PPA platforms, which are doing supporting the aggregation and the matching and also supporting the secondary trading. This is the, the suggestion. I mean, we as Arab aren't in that space. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like it's a very viable proposition, I think, is a good way to match those elements of the market. I think we're running a bit out of time, Sam, so I'd like to, to finish off really with a topic that I know maybe you're grown at, but uh, Brexit. And um, there's a core element of all PPAs is, is the guarantee of origin, so certifying the renewables, uh, renewable energy that's been produced from the facility. Now, would a hard Brexit threaten the exchange of geos between the, the UK and the EU? Uh, what are the risks here? I mean, I've heard of up to a, a stop of imports, uh, which could remove up to 60 terawatt hours of annual demand of geos. I think the short answer is yes. Okay. I think the, long, the, long, the longer answer is disappointingly, you know, we, despite it being, I think, about four years since the vote now, we're we don't seem to be any closer to understanding what the new relationship looks like with the EU. And this is, I guess, the fault, uh, it's a failure in negotiation um, at this point. What I'm trying to say is there's huge uncertainty. I think we don't yet know, not just on the go side, but the whole of the energy side, if I'm just going to focus actually on that uncertainty. You know, there's significant uncertainty there. We don't know how uh, trading is going to work from come the 1st of January 2021 after the implementation period is has ended. We, we're not sure whether we're going to still have the very efficient usage of the interconnectors that we have in market coupling or whether we're going to have to fall back to to default approaches. You know, what is clear is the UK government, and I'm sure, you know, the EU and its uh, member state governments are advising everybody to prepare for a no deal. You know, so I think that is the, the reality of where we are. Goes are clearly very useful to energy suppliers largely in the UK. And they've been taking advantage, let's say, from the cheap flow of goes coming in from from the continent. I would say the, the one upside, you know, I'm looking for upsides <laughs> now. You know, if the flow of these goes is halted coming into the UK, that does provide support for domestic additionality. So those projects will have to, should come to bear in order to address the demand for those. I mean, they're used in the fuel mix disclosure situation um, in the UK. So there is a, a compliance requirement for these uh, goes or re-goes as we call them um, here in, in the UK. So hopefully that leads to more renewable projects being having to be built in order to facilitate to address that demand so a big upside for the domestic uk players but probably a very big downside for those continental or even nordic players who've been selling selling those uh, certificates into into the uk 
Sam, always great to have you on the podcast. Uh, I'm sure we'll we'll discuss these issues again at some point, and I look forward to welcome you back. Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure. That's all from the Montel Weekly podcast this week. You can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly podcast. Please direct message any suggestions questions or let us know if you'd like to be a guest you can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com lastly uh, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in the energy markets on montel news you can subscribe on apple podcasts and spotify and please leave a review if you can thank you and goodbye